You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Rise and shine, Perth. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host of the Perth Property Show, where every week we get Perth's biggest experts into the studio to chat on their favourite property topic. Today, we're going to talk about educating yourself in the property market, in investing in property. This is a question I get very often from people on the street, from clients, from friends. What books should I be reading to understand property investment strategies or just investment in general? Are there any seminars I should be watching or are there any people I should be following? And it's a really hard one to answer because it can be hard to find good quality information that doesn't come with a sales pitch at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, it's something that it really isn't uh, laced with conflicts. And to help us with that conversation is someone that I really respect in this industry, in the West Australian real estate industry. That's John O'Malo. Jonathan, thanks for coming in again. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with some books. Just on a, on a broad basis, I know that I, when I was 15, my mum bought me Rich Dad, Poor Dad. What do you think about that one? Yeah, great book. Yeah. and What's it teaching you? Well, I think it, it teaches you about having the right relationship with money. Mm. Right. So a lot of people, I suppose they want to have property portfolios. They want to build their wealth. But if they have the wrong relationship with money, then that's going to be problematic in itself because you're not going to be able to build wealth. And, yep. you know, that relationship with money comes down to being able to manage your money well and no matter what money you're earning. Um, in fact, I think even uh, as I think about it right now, Bob Proctor runs a series called Born Rich. Mm-hmm. And in his seminar series, he talks about your relationship with money. And he talks about if you are not good at that, find a coach that can help you in that area and learn how to be good at that. Because there's a formula, a definite formula for being uh, wealthy. There's a definite formula for remaining even. Yeah. And there's a definite formula for going broke. And it doesn't, right? it's not linked to your intelligence, is it? You can be highly qualified, no. highly intelligent and horrible with money. And on the flip side, you could, you know, you, you could struggle to put the numbers on the page in many ways, just because of the systems you've put together, you actually find that money is not a problem for you. Totally. And in fact, it's also not linked to your um, wages you earn. Mm. See, you could get just as rich working on chips at McDonald's as you could in an executive position. And the reason being is because it's not about how much money you earn, it's how you use your money, Yeah. how wisely you manage your money. It's very easy to make good decisions with massive multipliers that would easily make up for the extra few zeros that someone might make on a yearly basis that's also taxed compared to someone who just goes and spends their money on the weekend, whether it's gambling or in you know punting on the share market, for example. Totally, yeah. And, and I think- Or a know, bad property investment. Totally. Well, people, what they do, and, and in fact, Bob Proctor talks about this, and I think this is probably worth bringing in. It's a little bit philosophical, but I think it's still yep. an important uh, conversation to have. There's a book also that I think comes in with this, is which is The Richest Man from Babylon. Now, in that book- the Babylonians were an ancient society that were very wealthy. And they talked about that the Babylonians had a philosophy where it was the first 10% of all you earned must be put away mm-hmm. in savings for your future before you pay bills, before you pay anything like uh, entertainment-wise. Yeah. yeah, before you do anything else, any of your living costs, 10% must go into that future fund. And that's like getting your boss to essentially put away 200 bucks a week or whatever it is into a different account than your usual salary account. You don't even see it. Totally, yeah. In fact, Bob Proctor used to do it this way. He used to draw out a week's calendar 
Mm. Right. And he'd say, so all that you earn between 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. on Monday goes into saving. Then the rest of it goes towards your general living costs. And I think if people could just adopt those types of policies first and foremost, that's probably the foundation principle in building a portfolio because i've seen a lot of people that have gone to the seminars and you've probably seen them too trent where you know they go to these seminars and they advertise fantastic outlandish claims like buy seven properties safely in seven years yeah 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 and things like that it ain't easy especially in this market these days (laughs) no and but but if these people who go to these seminars typically by the way these seminars will be free and that should be your first warning, yep. right? That this is probably not the right seminar. Yep. But, you know, they go to these seminars thinking that's fantastic and they don't have any idea on how to manage their money. And what happens is, yes, you know what? You could probably leverage off of some equity in a home and keep buying property to a certain degree, yep. right? Um, you can fake the valuations. You can do all sorts of things, which is what people do when mm. they're in that situation. And before you know it, you can't afford to manage that portfolio and that portfolio collapses around you. Yeah, you've got this big debt that you can't even buy dinner with anymore. Yeah, totally. And in fact, Italians have a wise saying. And again, I don't know if this is you know, correct because I remember an old Italian guy saying it to me, but he said to me, look, Italians have a wise saying and that is you don't get rich in property when you sell it. So in other words, you get rich in property by buying it and holding it. Now, that then suggests that buying too much that you can't afford to hold can cause the whole thing to collapse again as well. So it's all about buying property that's within your means and making sure that you have a good financial management strategy around that so that you don't buy the next property too quickly. We really need to be changing up our strategy. We're in a new time now where finance and debt leverage is not what it used to be two years ago. And what it means to me is that there's no longer that freedom to just go and be that person with 28 properties on the back of a newspaper and I I earn $80,000 a year. The banks aren't letting you do that anymore. What you need to be doing is actually allocating as efficiently as possible the debt you can get. That's right. You got to leverage that. And if it's not working for you, don't hold it. If you're losing hundreds of dollars a month passively just for the sake of having an investment property, is that a good strategy when you can't even live a normal life? No, that's right. And, you know, I mean, we have, we manage quite a lot of properties in our company's portfolio and we've got a lot of our landlords that are always on that edge. And, you know, they can't afford to get the hot water system fixed when it blows up and yeah. they can't afford to get the air conditioner fixed. You know, that's no way to... That's not a lifestyle. Portfolio. No. Yeah. And what it means is is that when things like that go wrong and you can hear the edginess in their tone mm. when you speak to them, if something like that goes wrong with their investment property, they're, you know, they're going off the deep end. You know, that... You don't itself, want to be in that situation. Yeah, that in itself, it's not, you know, and I don't begrudge the people for being in that state of mind. We're not the fault of it. Someone else is the fault of it. Mm. And it could have been the decisions they've made or the advice that they'd taken. Certainly from my point of view, it's about making sure you can bite off what you can chew. Another book, Jan Summers. Yeah, How to Build Wealth Through Investment Property. So Jan Summers was a school teacher and she built a portfolio that she now lives off entirely. She also developed a couple of programs, PIA Pro, which is a software program that you can buy and you can manage your investment portfolio with it, put in all of the variables and it will give you the cost per week to own that property after tax benefits and so on. Now, it's a good program to have, obviously, and incidentally, if you're out there considering investing, you know, you spend $400 on that program, it'd be worth having. Yeah. But Jan Summers 
she built her business really around portfolio that she built. And now, largely, I don't know if they even make a great deal of money out of that software program because they provide updates all the time. They never charge for them <laughs> and so on. But she has an enormous portfolio. And all it was about for her was those fundamentals of managing your money. She did it all on a school teacher's salary. That in itself is hope for a lot of people. A little bit harder now, I think, with the lending laws in terms of how quickly you can grow it. Oh, but totally. it just makes it that much more important to find the right properties that you're investing in from the get-go. Because one bad decision can put you back years, especially if you're spending those years grappling with yourself. Should I sell it? Should I deleverage this and buy something else? I'm not going to make any money off it. I might lose money. Property selection is crucial. I totally agree with you. I think what we find is that people are so willing to listen to an exciting story about something Mm. that may not necessarily have great foundation. And a classic example would be, you know, we're up in Karatha and Dampier and, and, you know, places like that, Port Hedland, where for a time there, that was a fantastic investment story. However, it didn't have a lot of foundation. So the prices, the rental returns and so on went through the roof. And you only need to then have something go wrong, like commodity values go down and the resource sector go into a, a bit of a decline, which is you know what happened in the last few years. And those property values have plummeted yeah. along with the rental values. But these people that bought there are leveraged to the hilt. Yeah, sold they a dream. Yeah, and now have lost all their equity in any of their portfolios elsewhere. So just making a selection on the back of something like that is crazy. You know, it needs to be a good, safe area, like you said, around perhaps, you know, gentrification. So, you know, is the area improving because they're changing the demographic in there? That demographic largely would be changing based on zoning changes. Is there major infrastructure, but is it also metropolitan? And is it not too far out in metropolitan either? Right. So, you know, what's the road network? Does it actually make sense for for more density here? um, Or or this is an active investment strategy we're talking about. Does it actually have real benefit to the community to be involved in investing and actively developing here? Or if we're just doing a passive investment, what reasons would people have in the future to want to spend more money on this property than I've spent on it? That's just a fundamental question of what you're, whatever you're investing in, property shares. Yeah. Why would this be worth more than I've paid for it sometime in the future? Well, classic example of that is that for a long time there, the story around Ellenbrook, you know, master plan community, it's going to be fantastic, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the truth is there was in part some truth to that story. Yeah. And that story will start to emerge soon. I believe, with the Great Northern Highway going through. However, up until now, the road network there has been impossible. So what's happened is people have lived there and, you know, getting in and out of that suburb in the morning, in peak hour, to go to work anywhere else is an absolute nightmare. So what happens then is that makes the the livability and the desirability of living in that location not so great. It could have been a good idea to buy that investment, that asset at that time, but circumstances have changed just like if you buy you know a share in a company that's invested in a project you know you get maybe some some government risk or political risk and whatnot circumstances have changed and now those shares are worth less same thing with property the the idea of what was what the asset was going to be has not realized up until this point and therefore that's why values in that specific example are not what they were were sold to be no 10 years ago. That's right. Well, because they were, you know, it was all on the back of the train line going out there, etc. Now, having said that, you know, you've got a great road network going out there now. Mm. And so once that's up and running, I think you'll see a different story out that way. But again, 
we'd still need some policy changes here. Certainly that will become a good thing to keep an eye on. So that brings us back to part of the fundamental questions of this episode is that, you know, what research, research yeah, yeah, what research do I do? Well, research what road projects are going in. Research what rail projects are going what in. What challenges might they have to actually get up? If it's Correct. just an idea right now, exactly. it doesn't mean that we're going to have a train station for another totally. 10 years. Totally. That's right. Yeah, because, I mean, is it at government level where it's a decision hasn't and it's actually funded. a policy and yeah. hasn't been funded? Yeah. Or is it a election promise, right? And, and see, you know, as we know, I think... The Ellenbrook train line, just to give you an idea, and again, I'm using this as an example, but the Ellenbrook train line was a political hot potato for years between each of the parties. And I'm still not sure it's funded yet. And that's the thing. So, you know, you've got situations like that that will you need to really look deeply into. Yep. And you need to look at, okay, what um, employment is going to get created in the area? What is the, what's going to cause demand for housing? And so a classic example might be if we looked at Midland right now. You've got a university that's getting built there. Now, that university will then... Require further of a specific type of housing solution. Housing for students. Yep. Correct, right? So, you know, it will eventually become quite a good um, investment out there. But what's happened is Midlands tanked in the meantime because everyone built these apartments. Way oversupplied. Yeah. Everyone got excited way, before, way too early. Way too early. Yep. Correct. So it's about timing. Yep. Timing is everything. Well, that, and that's, again, that is a concept of any investment strategy. You could buy a really good, pro- buy in or invest in a really good product. But then the day, if you've done it at the way too early or way too late, you're either going to be waiting way too long to see that realize value and if your concept doesn't align with that then you lose because you'll get out before you're going to realize it value or if you're getting way too late because you weren't availed of that information you should have been availed of years before or you didn't have the money at the time and you've gotten in on a FOMO sort of arrangement you'll be the first person to pay yeah that's right yeah and I think so let's go back to maybe one step further then on that research and you know, what, what underpins the growth in, you know, the economic clock, so to speak? Mm. You know, so when a region is ripe for it to be invested in, there's a few economic indicators that we can reasonably rely upon. And one of them is vacancy rates declining, right? So if vacancy rates are starting to decline, what that means is the equilibrium between supply and demand is starting to reverse um, in favour of property growth. Um, in other words, our demand is starting to increase or our supply is starting to get taken up by the existing latent level of demand. Yeah, that supplier that is always reactive to demand, it hasn't been pushing in the same way that maybe demand, which comes from population growth, yeah. has been sneaking up over time in the background. Yeah, correct. For me, that's the number one analogue in this whole thing with property values. And as much as you can read all the books you want, the reality is, especially in Perth, especially given that supply is always reactive to demand. You can't build unless you have finance and finances yeah. come unless you have the need. It's all about population growth. If the population is going up, especially from skilled migration, those people are coming in with money, with work, with skills, they need somewhere to live. That's either going to put pressure on the rental market or it's going to put pressure on the housing market. At the end of the day, that would be an imbalance again on the positive side of demand for the product, versus supply and then will be that lag that lead time where the builders the investors catch up over the next couple of years and that's where you see those you know in that cycle that two-year growth period that really pushes the prices of property to that next level if you look at the period we've just been through and and largely maybe i think slowly transitioning out of now you know we've been in an oversupply marketplace right and again you know i think our oversupply comes from policy decisions 
right? So yep. I think it's very important that you look at what policy decisions are out there. Those policy decisions, by the way, are typically quite easily um, easy to identify. In other words, what, what policies are going to drive increased supply in an area? What policies are going to you know, restrict supply? And what is likely to create demand in that area? So like you said before, you know, if you've got projects coming in, like right now, we've got some projects that are expanding back in the resource sector again. You mm. know, commodity prices are higher again, both on gas, iron ore. So you start to then look at and then you've got the lithium coming in. Yep. So you start a to of, say... A lot of public infrastructure with Metronet and... Correct. So yep. you say, okay, well, there's a fair bit going Shopping on. Centers. Right? And this is going to create jobs, yeah. right? And, and jobs so- need to be filled by skilled people. And if we don't have them, then that has to come from somewhere else. And that is where that pressure on growth comes. Yep. And that is where then the couple of year lag of the investment side, the builders side, figuring that out and getting their plans approved and starting to build creates that imbalance. Totally. And, and if you look at you know those rental values initially because those people will migrate over on mm-hmm. a rental basis. Rent first. Yep. It's a, and- it's a leading indicator. Correct. Yeah. And then, and then that then, um, starts to push rents up. All of a sudden, people who are renting now, it's no longer, see, right now, we've had a prolonged period where it's been pretty comfortable to rent mm. in WA. Mm. In fact, you know, we've got people, some very wealthy people that are going, you know what? I'm not going to sink four million into a residential asset. No. I'm going to rent for $2,000 a week because it's, it's actually cheaper, cheaper. than yeah. the mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, there's less risk of investing in this asset. Totally. Yeah. And so, you know, those people will start to go, oh, hang on a minute. Okay, so that's flipped now. All of a sudden, it's going to cost me $4,000 a week. Gee, you know what? I could probably be paying off a pretty decent mortgage with that. Yeah. Or And again, that's probably the one extreme, right? Obviously, we know that there's not a lot of people that are playing that game, mm. right? There's a lot of other people that are renting around $400 a week. However, again, once that starts to flip and the $400 a week starts to become 500 and 520 yeah. all of a sudden they're going, hang on a minute. You maybe know, I should be buying now. Maybe I should be buying. Yep. Yeah. Let's, you know, and, and then they, they only get, I think, moved out of a rental property a couple of times because the sellers, the owners decide to sell it. And all of a sudden it's like, you know what? I want some security of tenure. So rental, obviously, as an investment point there, a little bit off topic, but rental prices being a leading indicator for that next growth point. You know, these are the things that you need to pay attention to if you're looking at researching on property and looking at making a decision and investing in it. So just to tie off on that that dot point of doing your research, can we just quickly name some practical data points that we can, how, where, where can we access those data points? Yeah, what so websites are we looking at or who are we asking? Look, rewa.com yep. is a great website. You know, there's a lot of public information on there. But one thing I'd say is really crucial. Let's not get caught up in the median price as an indicator of anything. I'm not entirely sure why we still measure it. To be be brutal. I agree. The median price reflects nothing. Yeah, it doesn't. That's right. And, um, you know, if you look at it as a bell curve, it's like the median price point is the six sales in the middle of that bell curve, Mm. right? And it's the average of those six sales. But if you've had a higher level of higher volume sales in that area, all of a sudden it looks like the median price has gone up. Yeah, we've all made $30,000. No, we haven't. No. In fact, some of the weakest suburbs right now are still losing money every day. Yeah. Some of the strongest suburbs are making a mint. That's right. Right now, today. That's right. Exactly. So, yeah, median's kind of the one to stay away from. But, you know, you can research through Rewa. You can research um, domain.com. What about um, newspapers? Are we listening to the newspapers? Yeah, look, some newspapers. Like, like for instance, you know, I don't know if I'd subscribe to the ones that are in a 24-hour news cycle. Because they're just looking for... They're looking for the next thing to sell the next lot of papers, right? So, you know, their their level of reporting um, prowess... 
I think sometimes leaves a lot to be desired. Um, you know, the Fin Review, I would say, is a, is a good paper. You know, the West Australian, unfortunately, I think tends to be a little bit caught up in the 24-hour news cycle. The thing that I struggle with on the West Australian, and it's topical, we are West Australians, we read the West Australian, we're, we listen to WA, watch WA Today, Perth Now. The problem yeah. with that is the people current that affair. I know... Yeah, the, current affair. They ha- their, their job is to continually pump out product, pump out totally um, new, news. And well, 60 Minutes was a classic example a few months back, wasn't it? You see all these highly skewed articles on news segments and then surprisingly, the next day from the same organisation, there's been from a different guy in the team an article that totally contradicts that. Yep. I, I collated in the space of a month, I think, 10 articles from West, the West Australian. Five of them said that WA was doomed. The other five said we were showing signs of growth or that we were going through the roof. Who do you listen to? All the same organisation. Jono, thanks a lot for your time. You're welcome. Have you in soon. Okay, suburb spotlight time. We are talking Wilson today, small suburb, right in between a number of really interesting suburbs for me being Waterford, Riverton, Shelley, Bentley, Cannington, Ferndale, all those areas, all those suburbs really do affect this small market of Wilson. And we're going to talk about why and how with Wilson's number one agent. That's Michael Minnick. Michael, thanks for coming in. Trent, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. If you could give me, I'm going to throw this out to you right now. If you could give me one word to describe Wilson as a suburb, what would it be? The Canning River. Canning River. That's, that's, that's perfect because I think that's the theme we want to focus on as well is not only is it close to some really obvious things being the university, mm-hmm. the Waterford shops, mm-hmm. Cannington carousel shops, but we're a riverside suburb here, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. It's uh, situated in the northern banks of the river there and the foreshore and it's only approximately about 9km uh, to the Perth CBD. Tell me about how Wilson started. Give me some background. We always like to talk about a bit of history, some fun facts. Can you give me give us a bit of information on that side? Yeah, sure. So uh, Wilson was uh, developed in 1954. It was uh, predominantly very state housing type homes. Post-war. And, yeah, exactly right. So post-war, ex-war service homes um, back in the days. Obviously, it's gone through massive transition going on into 2000. 2019 and definitely a very uh, popular suburb nowadays. Is a few of those houses still around going through that renewal phase? Yeah, definitely. Uh, they usually asbestos type fibro homes, uh, which are still existent um, in certain streets of the area. But if you drive throughout the suburb, you actually seen a lot of uh, transitioning that is happening. I guess that gives a lot of opportunity for people who come like the area and go look. I don't want to pay for someone else's house. Mm-hmm. I like nearly land value on this property. Mm-hmm. There are still some of these properties here where, look, the house is pretty much worth nothing mm-hmm. and you're getting near land value to go in there, either develop or build your own beautiful family home. Yeah, definitely agree with you, Trent. Uh, if you drive throughout the suburb, they have beautiful parks, nice reserves, uh, nice cul-de-sacs as well. So that's creating a lot of um, attraction, not only to the local market, but also to the overseas activity as well. The thing about Wilson is you've got a very major thoroughfare going through that suburb. Sure. So uh, that's a really important critique that you actually mentioned there. It's actually situated and separated into two sections. So obviously you've got the, uh, the Manning Road, uh, part of Wilson, which we call it the the beer part, yep. and obviously the um, champagne part, which is just hugging the sparkling shores of the Canning River there. So that owner occupied, I would have thought, a bit more expensive, bit mm-hmm. more solid market at the moment, being the the houses in between the river and Leach Highway, and then you've got the more older uh, development style Mm -hmm. uh, development phase properties in between Leach Highway and Manning Road. Yep, definitely agree. So um, basically the 
this section where the Canning River is. Uh, traditionally, a lot of properties uh, have sold up in that three quarters, even up to the $800,000, $900,000 uh, price bracket there. And obviously, when you get towards the Manning Road pocket, um, that's been heavily um, developed right this moment, you tend to attract a lot of the three by two type villas, four by twos at times. Are these people that are living there, a lot of students mm-hmm. going to the university as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So the Manning uh, Road section, um, you tend to have a lot of um, investor type influence, uh, which they tend to uh, rent out to students, also young couples as well. So we're attracting a, a lot of professional young capu- uh, couples who are actually working in Curtin University, fly and fly out, even being so close to the CBD, we're attracting that marketplace. It's a good point, especially with the Gateway WA project. Mm -hmm. Suburbs like Wilson become more accessible to the airport just like that. Yes, definitely. So uh, Manning Road, it's everything, is one of the major thoroughfares going through from Solder Point all the way down to uh, Bentley, Cannington, part of Perth. So, But like I said, it's actually situated in very high turnover type corridors of the area. People that are selling off you right now, are they people that have been living in the area for a long time or is it a mix of those people Mm. and investors? Yeah, good good question there, Trent. It's actually a bit of a, a mixed bag, shall I say. So you tend to have a lot of well, just recently, I just sold a property for a gentleman who's been living there since 1960s. So I like those stories. Yeah, so we got to, obviously, it's not just a house, it's a home. So we will respect that. Obviously, we mention it uh, to them, who do you think is going to buy their home? Yeah. They're aware that's obviously going to be an investor or developer. Even a young couple is going to be willing to do the renovations, but with the potential to subdivide in the future. It's important to note here in Wilson, we have really two markets, don't we? We have yes. uh, probably a market north of uh, Leach Highway that is, uh, if we're realistic about it, still mm-hmm. going through the throes of the of that softer downturn with mm-hmm. a bit more opportunity if you were looking at it right now to buy in at probably the, the, one of the cheapest times you can in Wilson for sure. those development blocks. Yes. Or a cheap unit if you're a young couple looking mm-hmm. at a home. And then you've got your more dress circle side south of Leach Highway, which really has those Riverton, Shelley influences for that owner-occupied lifestyle, which is a bit stronger market and you're mm-hmm. already seeing a little bit of growth coming back. Yeah, definitely agree with you. So in that part of uh, the champagne part of Wilson, you tend to get a lot of the changeover marketplace in terms of like families who are wanting the upgraders. to upgrade. Exactly right. Yep. So uh, just recently we had one where we sold them uh, to a property who you know who basically they lived in St James. Also markets coming from Canning Vale, coming from Willerton, who are looking to enjoy that lifestyle. Shall I say? Let's talk about price points now. We've clearly got mm-hmm. two markets to talk about, but we also have a number of products because there has been redevelopment and changeover of product type over time. Sure. Uh, what's the cheapest thing I could buy in Wilson right now? So the, probably the cheapest product at the moment are available on Leach Highway. And believe it or not, Trent, everyone's probably thinking there Leach are, Highway. Yeah, there 60, are houses, right? Yeah, 66,000 <laughs> cars that you know go down, storm down the front yep. in that part of the town. But at the end of the day, there's a buy for every house out there and you can potentially pick something up for 200 plus. Wow. Wow, that's such a unique product, isn't it, to it buy is. a house on a highway? As you said, there's always someone for for every house. Exactly. If we come off of Leach Highway, what will that next price point be? So the next price point uh, would be perhaps like a duplex half, around about 350, 400 square meters. Again, 1960s, three by one, probably potentially anywhere between about mid to high 300s, depending on the finishings inside. Okay, next point there. What, what are we looking at in the 400s? 
Sure. So 400s would be uh, predominantly three by twos. Where so you can, units? Yep. Triplex uh, sort of stuff? Yeah. Uh, triplexes, units. Uh, you can potentially pick them up mid to high 400s. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we start moving into some some other development blocks or sure. family homes, right? Yeah. Perfect. Exactly right, Trent. So uh, once you break into the low 500s, uh, again, depending on how big the lot uh, the zoning um, location. ratio, location as well, of yeah. course, uh, you tend to be breaking into the fives. Okay. Now, the most expensive property you've seen go in the last 12 months? Yeah. Uh, actually, we sold it uh, just in in Wilson on Armstrong Road. We sold it for just under $1.3 million and there was a six-unit six site. So, it was a big sale. Wow. I will definitely demonstrate mm. that there are... Uh, there are people out there willing to put their money where their mouth is in this suburb. And look, I, I'm a fan of Wilson. I've been looking for a long time yes. at those areas. I'm I'm waiting for a bit more strength in that unit market before personally mm. as a, on the buying side, I'm finding that. But I am seeing really a lot of fundamental reasons why you'd want to live or invest to to develop mm-hmm. in a place like Wilson because of all those fundamentals that we spoke of before. The amenities are ridiculous. Yes. I, I think just the reason probably it uh, isn't more expensive is because it's a small suburb and it doesn't have so many people advocating for it. Not exactly. many people know where Wilson is or what it does. So it's exactly. great to probably highlight it today. Yeah, so um, a, a lot of people obviously been operating in the area for 13 and a half years. A lot of perception of buyers is that Wilson area that consists of a lot of state housing. But in matter of fact, that whole area is changing quite rapidly. So it's attracting more younger professionals. It's attracting attention of definitely overseas developers Mm. and um, investors uh, because of the proximity. But again, amenities, um, it's at your doorstep, Trent. I think it's very similar to the idea of St. James where Mm. even myself, I would recognize St. James as historically a state housing place, uh, state housing area. I don't think that anymore. And I don't think that a Wilson. Mm. I, I, I think... Uh, there are some suburbs where definitely still that has a stain on there, but certainly not a place like Wilson. I think it really will be one of those uh, gentrify change up suburbs in the mm-hmm. next cycle mm-hmm. where we're thinking of Wilson in similar terms to uh, Riverton or exactly. uh, some, you know, one of those more middle to upper class areas. Exactly. So it's probably like Manning and Kawara yeah. like 10, 15 years ago. Exactly right. Okay. Next point that we want to talk about has to be development. We've, we've you've sure. referenced it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Now, it's important to note that the whole suburb isn't developable. It's not it's not a blanket zoning here where any house you buy in Wilson has development capacity. And there's pros and cons to that. Where are we focusing if we are a developer in terms of location for those opportunities? Okay, so I'm um, going back to the uh, northern part of uh, Wilson, the Manning Road section. You have yep. a lot of R30s there, which t- uh, traditionally you can build two units potentially. So what about, what's our normal land size, land holding for a plot? Yep, so on average in Wilson, the lot sizes, for example, if you go along Abbott Way, Andrews Road, a lot of the lots tend to be around about mid to high 700 square meters. Uh, there are land components that are up to uh, 900 square meters. Uh, plus even up to a thousand where traditionally you can build up to uh, three units potentially but they are they're pretty rare these days very rare but when they come up on the market they sell in any marketplace corner lots you're seeing a little bit of interest in those yeah um, corner lots are always in high demand all throughout metropolitan perth because you always get that value in terms of street frontage value Mm. uh, why shall i say and like i said when they do come up they go really quick uh what sort of price 
would you be selling a normal R30 700 square meter ish property for right now? Again, depending on the streets, because certain streets attract different prices. As you get closer to, for example, uh, Centenary Avenue, you mm. do have views of the the river. Yep. Um, you also got that the lifestyle. So, in answering your question, there you'd probably be looking somewhere in that mid middle range high fives, perhaps. Okay. Once you go towards the back streets of uh, Wilson, so the eastern side. Exactly right. So potentially no higher than 500000 Okay. Well, I guess there's opportunities there for a lot of people to afford that. And even if it wasn't today, sure. be able to land bank mm-hmm. and have that op- optionality to go forward. Mm. I, I think Wilson's probably an area where R30 decisions might be made at some point as exactly. well to probably increase that to an R40, mm-hmm. especially given the land holdings of 700 It just allows for another level of yes. housing option. Yes. Uh, there's talks about it, but as Perth gets bigger and bigger, um, density has uh, the zoning has to increase over time and in particular heavily in Wilson over time but when how long is a piece of string you haven't noticed haven't mentioned any R40 sites therefore I'm mm-hmm. assuming that there aren't any flats or apartments in Wilson not at the moment but I know once you cross the Manning Road um, stock there available in particular Bentley Cannington in those areas some suburbs I guess you have those very protective owners mm-hmm. who are quite sure. unionized in a way yeah. and say you know not in our backyard we want we want this to stay as a, a more of an owner occupied maximum r30 mm. area do mm. you get a feeling that it's in a it's a suburb that's more progressive looking for different options and looking for development options or uh they would prefer to keep it uh, the, as minimal residents as possible yeah i definitely heard of that and uh you know obviously everyone's have their own opinions in in these type of um, scenarios and they have the same issue like that a couple of years ago with the canning bridge precinct but mm. at the end of the day perth is um, one of the fastest growing cities in this country traffic is a problem yeah and they have no choice to increase um, zoning over time yeah well i, I think it uh, probably be a case where they will keep protecting the champagne area yeah and they will keep developing the beer area if exactly we can call right. it that and because it is so accessible to all these great areas they are yeah and as you mentioned a couple of minutes ago just the amenities at the doorstep is it's second to none michael last question uh, and this is probably a hard one because there's two parts of Wilson that we've identified. But what's the median house price in Wilson? So the median house price at the moment is approximately about half a million dollars. All right. If you had half a million dollars in your pocket, sure. what would you buy? So definitely I would be um, land banking for sure, a development site uh, trend um, because of the potential in, in the future. Okay, awesome. Michael, thank you very much for coming in and chatting, Wilson. We'll have you in again soon uh, for, for another chat on this fantastic South of the River suburb. Thanks for having me, Trent. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!